you have your Bibles, which you should, you can go ahead and turn to Genesis 21. Uh, you guys have been around, been kind of jumping through different passages of Genesis. Uh, and today we're, we're finishing up with a story about uh, Isaac and Abraham. So uh, without further ado, let's just jump in. So in uh, Genesis 21, verse 1, the Lord visited Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord said, uh, did to Sarah as he had promised. Uh, so we kind of skipped this section, um, so I'll kind of fill you in. Basically, the, the promise was that Abraham and Sarah were going to have a baby. And uh, back in this time, having children was a big deal um, for a lot of reasons. One, some, especially having a son, he had someone you could pass on the family name to, the inheritance. Um, if, as you got older, you know, they didn't have retirements back home, so having kids meant that you're going to have security in your old age. So um, having kids was a big deal, and not being able to produce children was also a big deal. And so uh, Sarah was uh, 90 when she was told that she was going to have a baby, and, uh, and, and God had promised to Abraham earlier that he was going to uh, give him a ton of descendants, that he was going to become a great nation, all these things. Um, it just took a really long time for it to happen, right? Sarah was well uh, into her older, older ages when she conceived, uh, and so it was a miraculous birth. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him, and Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Um, so yeah, so this, so uh, some more backstory here. Um, when, so God actually appears to Abraham, and he actually tells him, okay, Abraham, about this time next year, you're going to have a son. And if you know the story, Sarah hears that, and she laughs, right? And, and God's like, why is she laughing? Um, and it's funny because now, again, the, the, it's come to pass, right? These things, she's, she's, she didn't think it was going to happen, and now it's happened, and now she's laughing, but for two different reasons, right? First time she laughed because she was skeptical, um, and now God has fulfilled his promise, and now she's laughing from joy. And, and Isaac's name is uh, appropriate. It actually means he laughs. That's the literal name of, of his name, um, or the literal meaning of his name. Um, yeah, so, uh, so again, this was uh, obviously a miraculous thing. People who are at this age generally don't have babies, right? Uh, and maybe some of you maybe aren't even at that age and are like, oh, I wouldn't want to have a baby at 90, right? Well, yeah, I, I could probably understand that um, to a certain, I mean, as much as I can as a guy. Um, so, um, so, yeah, so God had fulfilled his promises, and it probably didn't come uh, as soon as they would have liked, right? As, as they're saying, like most people are probably like, yeah, let's, you know, let's have babies, you know, while we're young and then older age, we'll, we'll enjoy life, right? And God's like, uh-uh, you're going to have a baby way late in life um, and past the point to where they thought it was possible, right? So again, God uh, just fulfilling his promises um, and, and coming through and showing himself faithful to them. Just a fun factoid. This doesn't really have anything to do with it, but I think it's super interesting. Um, it says that Isaac was cir circumcised on the eighth day. It just so happens, uh, this is scientifically proven, uh, babies uh, pr start producing vitamin K at peak levels at eight days, which is essential for blood clotting. And so how did they know that? Ah, well, God knew what he was doing, right? Um, again, that doesn't have anything to do with what I'm speaking about, but 
just shows that, I don't know, I think it's cool. Bible, God knows what he's doing, and, uh, and, the, and the Bible knows what it's talking about. Okay, we're going to jump uh, ahead to chapter 22, so go ahead and, and turn over there. Now, some time has gone by. We don't know exactly how much time has gone by. Um, a few other things have happened at this point. Um, in the very end of verse, uh, chapter 21, it says that Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. That term, many days, means an abundance of days, so he was, he was there for a while. So we don't know exactly how much time has passed, but a pretty good amount. In verse 1 of chapter 22, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. Now this is one of those like, what? <laughs> Moments in the Bible, right? Like, huh? You sure about that? God? Uh, because, yeah, uh, for a number of reasons, right? So one, um, if you read the Old Testament, particularly in the, in, in the Torah, um, the law, uh, God was not pro-human sacrifice. Actually, God was very anti-human sacrifice. In Deuteronomy 18, he writes, there shall, be, there shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And Leviticus 18 says, You shall not give any of your children to offer them to Molech, and so profane the name of the Lord your God, I am the Lord. And then there's also multiple instances in, say, the books of Chronicles and Kings where people offered their children as sacrifices, and it says that the wrath of God was kindled against them, right? So um, it's odd that God is commanding Abraham to do something that he clearly detests in the Old Testament. And when we see that, there are times in the Bible where it's like, wait a minute, why is God doing this? It seems to go against his character, what he has previously commanded. That's a clue to dig a little deeper and take a closer look, and that's what we're going to do. So for those of you who are not familiar with how the sacrificial system went back then, basically what they would do, they were commanded to make atonement for their sins. They would build an altar out of rocks. They would take a lamb kill the lamb, um, and then they would build a fire on the rocks on the altar, and they would burn the lamb. And that's how, how sacrificial system went, and you see it as early as uh, Cain and Abel. And um, this is obviously a twist where God says, okay, we're going to take away the lamb, and I want you to use Isaac, the one that I promised to you, the one that I miraculously brought to you, the kid that you love probably more than anybody else in this world, I want you to go sacrifice him to me. Uh, so obviously... <laughs> kind of a big deal, right? It's kind of a weird, not only is it a weird request, but a, a very difficult one for, for Abraham to come through for, or to follow through with, I should say, is probably the phrase I'm looking for. Um, okay, so it's a little confusing, right? Like, what's actually going on here? What is he thinking? Uh, we get a little bit of insight into what's going on in Abraham's mind at this point in Hebrews 11. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going gonna, gonna read to it, read it for you. Hebrews 11, 17 through 19, by faith, Abraham when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So basically, Abraham hears this from God, and he trusts God's promises so much that God had promised that his seed was going to be um, it was going to go through Isaac, right? That a great nation was going to come through him, through Isaac. He believed that so much that even though God had commanded him to kill 
Isaac. He believed that God was actually going to raise him up from the dead. Um, that was the mindset that Abraham was going through with. So it wasn't that Abraham was just like, all right, we're just going to kill my son and that's that, right? No. Um, he had a ton of faith in the promises of God and what God had told him to do. So he's like, okay, I don't know exactly how this is going to work, but I know what God has told me and I know what God is telling me to do. So I'm just going to do what, he, what he's telling me to do I'm, and leave the rest to him, right? Um, and so we're going to see he's going to continue. Um, Okay, so one other thing we got to talk about here. Uh, it's, it's a little confusing, but we're gonna, we're, I want to make you aware of it at least. It says, take your son, your only son, to Isaac. The question is, was Isaac Abraham's only son? The answer is no, actually. It was not his only son. Um, previously, we've kind of, we, we haven't covered this uh, in this study, but um, Abraham had another son named Ishmael. If you guys are familiar with the story of uh, Ishmael, basically... Um, Abraham, as he's wandering through uh, the wilderness, trying to follow God, he, they have a famine. He goes to Egypt. While he's there, they pick up a servant girl named Hagar, and Hagar becomes Sarah's personal servant. And they're getting old, getting up there in age, and like, well, God's really taking his time with this whole child thing. Uh, maybe we got it wrong. Like, maybe we're not supposed to have kids. Maybe I'm supposed, you're supposed to have uh, a child through my servant, Hagar. Now, that seems really weird to us, uh, but back in those times, that was a common practice um, in order to produce more children, more offspring, um, and therefore, like, basically more people to help run the household and, and things like that, uh, they would do that. They would basically have kids through servants and through concubines and things like that. Um, so they basically take, things into their, take matters into their own hands, and they, and they do that. And Hagar has a son named Ishmael. Now, um, later, of course, we see that Isaac is born, uh, and this causes some contention and in, in, if you read verse 20, or chapter 21 further, you can see uh, there is a section where, um, I don't want to go into too much detail, but basically um, it's a, a part where Ishmael is trying to more or less assert his dominance over Isaac in a, in a kind of disturbing way, and Sarah catches him and says, uh-uh, like this isn't going to fly. Um, and so Sarah, and, and ultimately God tells Abraham, you need to let Ishmael go. You need to just he needs to go away. He's like, I'm going to take care of him, um, but uh, Ishmael is not going to be the one through whom your, your seed is called. He's not going to, be, he's not going to inherit uh, what, what I'm giving Isaac. And so God uh, actually ordains that Ishmael be sent away. So um, for the purpose of what we're going to see here, Ishmael is more or less dead to Abraham at this point, okay? So uh, technically, Abraham did have more than just uh, one son, but uh, for the purposes of of this and what we're going to see here, because um, there's something deeper, um, Ishmael is not in the picture, and as far as Abraham's concerned, he's, he's dead to him. Okay, picking up in verse 3. So Abraham rose early. Abraham wastes no time. He knows what he's supposed to do, and he gets right to it. Rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come to meet you. I'll come again to, to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. Knife uh, symbolizing death, fire symbolizing judgment. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold the fire and the wood, 
But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. Okay, so um, <laughs> it's easy, like a lot of times we read passages in the Bible, and sometimes like people mess up, and we think, well, how could they mess up? And sometimes, you know, people go through things, and we don't really appreciate the gravity of it, because we have the whole story completed right here before us, right? But for Abraham, as he's walking through this, like he was prepared to kill his son because God had told him to do it. Like, um, and only because God had told him to do it, right? It's not that not like Abraham really wanted to kill Isaac. Um, quite the contrary. Uh, but he believed in God so much, and he um, had so much faith that he was willing to do it. And, yeah, sometimes we, we read this and just think like, oh, you know, it's no big deal. It was, a, it was kind of a big deal, right? A huge deal. And there's a reason for this, right? It's, so the part of this is that God is, says, testing Abraham, right? Um, not that God needed to know uh, what Abraham was going to do, because he knew that already. But really, for our benefit, um, God's kind of demonstrating this for us, right? Um, so there's a part where God is, is testing Abraham just to see what he's going to do as, as really a witness for other people. Um, but there's so much, this is so much deeper than this, right? Because ultimately, uh, this passage, Isaac, is what we would call a type, right? A model of Christ. And that's really the main reason why God is going through this. So um, there are two styles of, of prophecy, if you want to call it that. And I haven't made up these terms, but I'm just going to run with it because I don't have any better terminology. But there's two models of prophecy, right? There's what they call the Greek model and the, and the Hebrew model. The Greek model, there is a prediction, and then you wait some time and see if it comes true, right? That's kind of what they would call the Greek model of prophecy. And the Hebrew model is pattern. Prophecy is pattern. Such as this happened, so this will happen, right? And we see lots of types and models throughout the Old Testament, and they point to Christ. And if you don't believe me, I mean, just take a, take a look at Isaac and, 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 Je and Jesus and these, and these models, right? Both were only begotten sons. Both were sons that were promised by God. Both uh, were provided uh, by God through miraculous birth. So Jesus, born of a virgin, someone who shouldn't be able to have kids. Isaac, born of a mother who's... 90 years old, shouldn't be able to have kids, right? But God provided both miraculously. Both carried uh, the wood on their backs where, uh, up the same hill on which they were to be killed on. 
both uh, were be offered as a sacrifice for sin. Um, and so this, this is a picture to kind of demonstrate, okay, this is, this is what Christ is like. Um, and this is an aspect of, of both the Father and Christ. And it's something that we can understand, right? Because, um, so one of the things, I've, I've talked to some of you guys about this uh, in the church, and just uh, something that I've been really thinking about a lot lately is just how God bakes into our human experiences, our lives, um, these things like getting married and, and having kids and, um, you know, bro- having family and, and all these different experiences. And you really wonder, like, okay, well, why did God set it up this way? Like, why did God create uh, us in this manner? And, and the reason, ultimately... Um, is so that we can know him on a deeper level, right, by experiencing. Because um, the example I usually give is like skydiving, right? If I were to go online and find all the information I could about skydiving, I could tell you a lot of stuff, right? I could tell you how to pack a parachute probably. I could tell you about safety. I could tell you about the like, planes they use and you know, all the different things about skydiving. But until I actually jump out of a plane, I don't know what it's like to go skydiving, right? Um, because we are experiential by nature. That's how we actually get to know things, is by actually experiencing them. And so God gives us these experiences so that we can understand more or less Him uh, and what He's gone through and what He's done for us. So um, part of the reason why we, ha- why we have kids, right? Because let me ask you this. How many of you who have kids uh, would be willing to kill your own children for somebody else or for, because God told you to, right? That'd be kind of tough, right? be really tough. Um, and, and, and so this is part of the reason why God does this, right? He's trying to explain, like, hey, listen, um, take these experiences that you have and understand that that's a glimpse of, of what I've kind of gone through, right? Um, I can, so I don't know how many of you guys have ever, um, I don't know if you guys have ever watched somebody you love suffer, right? Um, and I'll say this, too. We, we, we often focus on the suffering of Christ, right, because Christ um, ultimately died on the cross, and he took the judgment for our, for our sins, um, and, and we, we focus on that a lot, and, and for good reason, right? That's, that was no easy thing, right? Uh, that was the most difficult thing that anybody could have gone through, and, and Christ did it for us, but sometimes we neglect to think about what the Father has done for us. Um, I remember I, was, uh, I broke my leg really bad when I was in high school in a football game, and I had to go to the hospital for about like 10 days, and um, it was not fun. Let me tell you that right now. It was not fun at all. It was horrible. I was literally like writhing in pain in my hospital bed, and uh, painkillers weren't doing anything. It was just like terrible. And I can remember looking at both of my parents uh, and looking at their faces and just knowing that it was probably so much worse for them to go through that. Uh, and how if they could have, they would have been like, I'll take, I'll take your spot. I'll take the pain. You can get out of that bed and I'll, and I'll do it for you. Um, because there's something about it. There's something about watching somebody that you love go through pain um, that seems so much harder to deal with than actually going through the physical pain yourself, right? Um, and I don't know if any of you have ever experienced that. Um, if you haven't, there's a part of where I say, well, consider yourself blessed because it's not fun. Um, but for those of you who have, you know, you, you have a small glimpse of what God the Father has gone through for us, right? Um, him laying down his only son for us, man. Um, man, I think of, sorry, I'm going to get myself together here. Um, yeah, man, like, when you really think about that, the gravity of that, um, God loves more than you've ever loved anybody in, in a more perfect way than you've ever loved anybody. 
and Jesus was perfect. Um, you know, he was more deserving of the love. So you take those two things together and the fact that God sacrificed his only son so that, why? It's because of us, because of love for us, right? So that we, can, so that we may live, so that we can be with him. Um, it's huge. When you really understand the, the gravity of that, it's, it's hard, um, it's hard that, to not let it change you, right? And that's good. Um, yeah, we could probably go on all day about that. If you want to go ahead and turn, and do, I think we've got time for this, so if you want to go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 4, Paul highlights this, uh, this instance, what's going on here, gives us some more insight into it. In, uh, starting in Romans 4.13, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but there is, where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence, turn my page here, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist, in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, and when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up, for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Do you see what Paul is saying here, basically? He's basically saying, like, look, um, you know, Abraham had faith. And his faith was accounted to him for righteousness, right? Um, because what do we have that we can offer God? Like, what, what are you going to give him that God doesn't already have? Money? Like, God could just make gold come out of nowhere. He doesn't need your money, right? Talent? You think there's anything that you can do that God can't do better? Um, just take anything, like anything in your life. Like, what, what do we ha ultimately have to offer to God? Um, there's one thing that he doesn't have, and then he can't take because of his own nature, and that's our will, right? And that's why uh, faith is so important, because um, it says in the Bible, uh, it is impossible to please God without faith, because that's all we have, right, is our faith in him. And just as faith was accounted to Abraham as righteousness, um, so it is for us who believe in Jesus Christ, uh, our faith is accounted to us as righteousness. Um, I, love, I love the way Paul, um, of course I just turned away from it, so I'm going back to it. Um, I love the way Paul puts it here in, uh, do, 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 do. Oh, oh, yep, verse uh, 17. Of course, my, my Bible straddles it, so I want to go back. As is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things 
that do not exist. And the thing that's craziest that God calls into existence that does not really exist is that he looks at me and he says, righteous, blameless, deserving to be with me, right? Because it's not true. It's not true. I'm not perfect. I'm not blameless. I'm anything but. Um, but because of what God has done, because of what Jesus has done for us, um, it's true. God can justly say that, right? God can justly look at us and say, perfect before me, right? Um, but that's not because of what we've done. It's because of what he's done. Um, and so we, we, there's nothing that we can boast in as far as our own ability to do that because uh, it has nothing to do with that. Um, but it's purely because of what God has done, what Jesus has done. Um, and again, this, this whole thing um, being put together this whole story. Like, people like, look at this passage and are like, what, what's going on here? This doesn't make any sense, right? God commanding Abraham to sacrifice his son. Um, it's just like, why would God do that? Well, the reason ultimately is because he's trying to show us something, right? He's trying to show us something about himself and what he's done for us. Um, and ultimately, it's that he has paid the way. He has paid for our sins um, through the death of his son. And, uh, and people look at God sometimes and think, you know, how, how could you sacrifice your own son? Uh, that sounds like a horrible thing to do. Yeah, normal, under normal circumstances, it would be a horrible thing to do, right? Um, but um, he did it for us, right? And, and it wasn't just Jesus who paid the price. God the Father paid a price as well. And it wasn't just a price. It was the highest price that could be paid. Because if, if, the, if the cost was just gold, God could have been gold, done, paid. Or another universe, God could have been like, Done. Another universe, right? Um, no, God actually pays with himself. Um, there is no higher price to be paid, and that's what he's done for us. So um, looking back again at Sarah and Abraham and, and even Isaac and all this, because um, Isaac, you know, he's probably pretty old at this point. Like, he probably could have, if he really wanted to stop Abraham from, like, killing him, he probably could have, even if he was, like, a teenager. Uh, Abraham's 100, over 100 years old at this point, right? So Isaac probably could have taken him, but no, he... He submits to the will of the Father as well and goes through with it. So Abraham, Isaac, and Sarah all um, going through some stuff that probably didn't make a ton of sense to them, right? Um, in our lives, God calls us to things that oftentimes don't make sense. And why? Because we don't have perspective, right? We see everything in, in these small microcosms, uh, but God sees the whole picture. And taking Sarah and, you know, the birth of Isaac, um, they had the heart of God, Right? They, they wanted a child, um, and God wanted them to have a child. What they didn't have was the timing, right? Um, they probably would have liked to have had him way earlier, right? So they're not spending this whole time wondering, is God really going to give us a child? Is God really going to, you know, fulfill his promises? Um, and maybe some of you are going through that. Maybe you know what the will of God is for your life, but, um, you know, it's not coming fast enough. And God's causing, you know, forcing you to be patient, and that's tough. Um, and then there are times where God asks us to do things that don't make any sense, that are just crazy um, to our own minds, right? Like, like he asked Abraham to do. Um, and those are hard too, right? And again, the question is, you know, do we have the faith to, to trust God in our lives? Do we um, trust him enough um, to, to follow through on those things? And sometimes we look at our lives and wish we had somebody else's life, right? Um, but God's given you your life for a reason, right? And I don't know what that reason is. Maybe you don't, you don't even know what that reason is yet. Um, but here's the thing. It's not that we trust God just blindly, right? Um, do we have evidence that, that God's going to 
come through for us or that God, like, look, look what he paid for us. You know what I mean? Um, take some assurance in knowing that God does not want what's good for you. He wants what's best for you. And he's not going to ask you to do something um, that he himself is not, you know, prepared to do, right? Because that's the other thing, too. It's like, because Abraham um, was willing to sacrifice his own son, God says, okay, I'm, I'm going to sacrifice my own son for you guys. Um, and knowing that, knowing what God has paid for us and what God has done for us, um, that should really give us some assurance that um, God's looking out for you guys, you know? And God's not going to ask you to do something. Um, like, he, he, he knows what he's asking, even though we don't. Um, but we can trust him and, and take hope in, in, in knowing that, um, that he loves us perfectly and that he is willing to do whatever it takes for us, right? Amen?